forgotten battle deep in the Rhodesian bush. A handful of mounted police battling over a thousand Shona rebels in a running battle. It's an epic fight that deserves to be remembered. Today we're talking about the Mazoe patrol in what is now known as Zimbabwe. Sirs, moms, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Redcoat History Podcast and YouTube channel with me, Chris Parkinson. Today's episode was co-written by the fantastic Cam Simpson. Thanks, Cam, for all your research. In Zimbabwe, there are two main tribes, the Matabele, now more commonly known as the Endebele, and the Mashona. Mashona land was first occupied by the British South Africa Company in 1890, and Matabele land immediately after the 1893 Matabele War, where the famous Alan Wilson met his end. You can hear all about that in a previous episode. But the situation was complicated, to say the least. To make matters even tougher for the settlers, most of its mounted policemen were then sent on to a farcical raid into neighbouring Transvaal, yep, the famous Jameson raid. This resulted in most of them being taken prisoner, leaving very few fighting men behind. There was just a handful of policemen alongside the newly raised Rhodesian horse volunteers. On top of this, rinderpest had infected the cattle, killing thousands. This caused a massive economic upheaval in the region. As you know, a messed up economy can often trigger wars, and that's what happened here. The local tribes decided that the diseases and drought were the fault of the white settlers, and they rebelled. At the time, the war was known as the Second Matabele War, but is now often referred to as the First Chimurenga. The rebellion first started in the Salisbury and Mazoe districts on the 14th of June 1896. Soon after, about 20 settlers were murdered in the surrounding district. In the Mazoe Valley itself, the rebels were led by Chief Huata, alongside an influential Shona called Masvi, who was a former native constable. He was to lead the warriors in battle and he taught them marksmanship. One of the settler outposts was a mine called the Alist Mine near Mazoe. Here, 15 civilian refugees under the command of a man named John Salthouse, the mining manager, formed a lager on a small hill close to the mine. In southern Africa, a lager is a name for a sort of ad hoc defensive position. Things didn't look good though. They only had enough food for four days and hardly any ammo. Mr Salthouse sent a telegram to Salisbury requesting assistance, and on the 16th of June, three men with a wagonette, a small wagon, converted into an ambulance set off from Salisbury. By the way, Salisbury is now known as Harare, so it's the same location. One of the three men died on the journey, but the other two in the wagon did reach Mazoe. On reaching the lager, they then had a meeting and it was soon decided to make a dash for it. H.D. Rawson, whose real name was Zimmerman, was one of the men who'd come up with the ambulance. He later wrote, We left the mine at noon, several of the men walking and the ladies in the ambulance. Salthouse was on his black pony, the only horse we had. We had only gone about five miles when, just as we were approaching a deep donger overhung by large trees, a terrible fusillade was poured into the men walking in front and Dickinson Casson Fall was shot dead. The ambulance was quickly turned around, but in doing so it was upset and the women pitched out. It did not take more than a few seconds to right it and we set off back to the mine as hard as we could go. We were being shot at all the time from the long grass, but fortunately nobody else was hit. On reaching the mine, we all scrambled up to a small copy, that's a hill, which overlooked the mine, and there we rolled rocks together to form some kind of protection. 
It was now evident that, unless we could get news into Salisbury asking for help, we did not stand much chance. Blackiston and Rutledge at once volunteered to try and get down to Mazoe Telegraph Office and send word to Salisbury. We realised that they were almost certain to lose their lives, and I do not think that Salthouse would have allowed them to go if it had not been for the three women with us. Salthouse gave them his horse and we watched them go down the copy and round the far bend, Blackiston riding and Rutledge at his stirrup. Trooper John Edmonds, another survivor of that day's events, recalled later in life that Blackiston and Rutledge's deed was the bravest thing he ever saw. He said, There was no heat of the engagement to inspire them to bravery. They did what they did in cold blood and complete calmness, fully realising that there was scarcely a dog's chance of coming out alive. The action of Blackiston and Rutledge undoubtedly saved the lives of the men and women in the Alice Mine Lager. The message they managed to transmit from the telegraph office read, We are surrounded! Dickinson, Cass, Fall, killed. For God's sake, we are surrounded. Send us help. This is our only chance. Goodbye. The two brave men emerged from the crudely built telegraph hut, and now, with the area swarming with rebels, they were both quickly cut down. But the message was received in Salisbury by Lieutenant Dan Judson, the right man at the right time. He was a 33-year-old South Australian inspector of telegraphs and a volunteer officer who had military experience in the region. Understanding the gravity of the situation and unconcerned for his own safety, he received permission to ride with eight men to assist the beleaguered Alice Mine. He and his small group travelled through the night and in the morning were engaged in a running battle with the rebels that went on for some time. As they came close, they realised that they might already be too late. Judson later wrote... We noticed the rebels attacking the Alice Mine in force. We charged up the road as fast as our tired horses could go, cheering loudly and opening up a rapid fire on the enemy. We ran the gauntlet of a hot cross fire for about six minutes and got safely into the lager of the Alice Mine and a few minutes firing caused the enemy to retire. Although their presence was hugely reassuring to the besieged garrison, they were still far from being safe. They were massively outnumbered and outgunned, hours and hours from Salisbury. A local black constable called Hendrick was then sent to deliver a dispatch. It was an incredibly dangerous task, but he made it through the surrounding rebels and on the road met another group of men en route to help rescue the garrison. This was Inspector Randolph Nesbitt and 13 men. Like Judson, Nesbitt fought his way into the Alice Mine, where at 5am he arrived amidst cheers repeated again and again. There was a quick discussion and it was decided that they would need to move quickly back to Salisbury. But that was no easy task. They knew there would be a fight, and it was one hell of a fight that awaited them. They placed armoured plates on the side of the wagonette in order to protect the women and the wounded. They then formed up, and at 11.30, with 12 mounted men, 18 dismounted men and 3 women, they started their perilous journey. About 1,500 warriors stood between them and Salisbury. I keep thinking of how tough that journey must have been, and particularly for the dismounted men. A quick look on Google Maps shows that that's a 38km journey and those lads were going to have to jog for most of it while fighting. After about a mile the advance guard inevitably was ambushed. Soon a desperate battle raged and two of Nesbitt's men were killed along with two horses. The enemy also had a number of mounted men, probably about 50, armed with a combination of muzzle-loading muskets, Martini Henrys and Lee Metfords. The fighting was intense and it seemed that the rebels were everywhere. James Darling, a prospector at Mazoe and an old CMR sergeant, vividly recalled the hazardous trip back to Salisbury. 
From both sides, the natives were peppering us, and it was remarkable that more damage was not done. Our procession became somewhat disorganised, more horses were killed, and very often the rear guard pressed right up to the wagon. Some of the footmen were getting out of breath, was not surprising really, and had to hold on to the wagon or jump up on the steps at the side. After going about seven miles, we came to a hot corner where the steep hillside which ran down to the road was thronged with natives. Rawson goes on to add, the natives were now firing very heavily, and it was only the fact of having such old and obsolete weapons that saved us, as they were lying close to the road in the long grass. Pasco now got on the roof of the ambulance and was able to give us information as to the movements of the natives. Though he was naturally very much exposed, I think that most of us would gladly have changed places with him if only to get the ride, as the heat and dust combined with carrying a rifle which was nearly red hot with rapid firing created a thirst that was nearly unbearable. The natives did not give us a moment's peace, and to make matters worse, they shot two of the horses in the ambulance which had to be cut loose, and the remaining four had to pull the ambulance. Shortly afterwards, von Staden and Jacobs were shot dead, and Hendricks, Ogilvy and Burton were badly wounded. When we got to the Tatagora River, the natives were so close and determined that we couldn't even drink, and I shall never forget trailing my hat in the water as I ran through and sucking the brim for miles. And let's not forget that it wasn't even certain Salisbury was still in settler hands. After all, the rebellion was big and it was growing. But finally Nesbitt and the main body did arrive at the Salisbury Lager at 9pm that night and to their intense relief, it was still secure. It had been an epic ride. No one had slept for over 24 hours and the men on foot had been running for over 9 hours. That's incredible really. But it wasn't without a serious cost. Three men had been killed during the ride back to Salisbury and a further six injured, including Judson himself. From the Salisbury lager, word spread around the empire of the incredible rescue of the Alice Mine refugees and their almost unbelievable running fight. The selfless sacrifice of Rutledge and Blackiston at the Telegraph office also became a well-known story and had they been military men, both would be candidates for the Victoria Cross. Blackiston School in Zimbabwe is named in memory of the selfless John Blackiston. Inspector Nesbitt, however, was to receive the Victoria Cross and went on to serve during the Boer War. He lived to the ripe old age of 88 and died in Cape Town in 1956. Dan Judson, who had been described as the organiser, leader and moving spirit, received no distinction though. Which is a shame because it was after all Judson who took the first initiative to ride to the assistance of the miners. A humble man, he served with the Rhodesians during the Boer War and as a major and company commander in southwest Africa in 1915. He later served in Salonika as a lieutenant colonel in the British Army. He was awarded the OBE in 1919 and died in 1943. An amazing life and a man well worth remembering and raising a glass to. As for the Mazoe district, it was later reoccupied in August 1896 by the British South Africa Company forces, where they built the aptly named Fort Mazoe. The rebellion in Mashonaland did not end until October 1897. It's a fascinating conflict and one I hope we can cover again in the future. If you enjoyed this story, guys, please subscribe. I'll be back with more next week. You can also get a free copy of my book about the Battle of Isandlwana when you sign up for my mailing list over at redcoathistory.com newsletter. All right, guys, take care.